Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am well. Been a busy week, hasn't it? It's been a terribly busy week. Have you been following the news from Capitol Hill? I have. I've listened uh, to write much of it on uh, yesterday and today. I didn't listen to as much today. I kind of hit my limit yesterday, I think, with the Senate <laughs> hearings. You had enough, huh? Yeah, I have a crap limit, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about today was, uh, as best I can tell, I did get a little busy this afternoon. They, they, they did um, one round for each congressman on the committee and limited it to five minutes, and then they put um, – they're apparently going to put a lot of written uh, questions and responses on the record. Uh, but they Which is not there. unusual with congressional yeah. hearings. Yeah. Um, and uh, it got a little testy. I know that uh, Liz Cheney, or as the – interestingly, the committee chairman called her Cheney, which is the way they used to pronounce it before uh, her father got uh, nationally famous – um, she, uh, she got uh, a little testy with her Republican colleagues and apologized to, uh, to the three witnesses on, for their uh, patriotism and their credibility being called into question. Um, and uh, I, think we've, I think we've set up, I, I, I guess, some, a difference uh, factually between the president and those three. Because both sides can't be telling the truth. No, Biden and his, uh, when he was interviewed by George Stephanopoulos, he was kind of pushed on this point, And he said, no, no one uh, recommended we keep troops in Afghanistan. General Milley, General McKenzie, both pretty clear that was their recommendation. Yeah. Um, and, and interestingly, uh, General Miller, who was the last commander on the ground at the four-star level, um, has not been called to testify. Although so I will say that McKenzie said he had spoken with Miller and that they were the same mindset. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, why, I mean, why didn't they bring him? Uh, because this was all volunteer. These were not, uh, they were not subpoenaed to be there as I understand it. Um, and, and the other, the thing that really, I think I found most interesting uh, was uh, with regard to the Senate hearing uh, Richard Blumenthal, um, stolen valor dick, as it were, um, was very critical, uh, particularly of the Secretary of Defense, both in his questions yesterday and then in his comments to the news media afterwards. And he, he basically said no one is in charge of the Defense Department. I was blown away as to why he would do that. Um, that that's really not in, in uh, character for him. He's normally a very partisan Democrat. Um, and I, for the life of me, I mean, that's a head-scratcher. What, what, is, what is his motivation there? Um, and uh, it was, uh, I guess what you'd say, a, a breath of fresh air, so to speak, uh, that he would do that. But I, I can't understand why. You know, there seems to be some bipartisan criticism of the Biden administration on how they've handled Afghanistan. And I think we got to talk about Milley in a moment and all the drama leading up to these hearings. But I have to say that my big takeaway was that the two 
four-star generals, and even though they are political by nature of their positions, and we talked about that last week, but, you know, they're pretty clear. Their recommendation was to do one thing. It was to leave 2,500 or so troops in Afghanistan, um, and they made that recommendation to the president. They believed they were heard, and he simply chose a different path as his his right as a president. Um Different question, though, when he lies about it or, or frankly, doesn't remember, perhaps, what their recommendation was. Which of those is worse? <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> Dishonest or incompetent? You know, it's hard to decide yeah. which is worse. Or maybe we have both in the White House. Yeah, um, we might. But, you know, I, I think they were very clear from a military perspective. Hey, this is where our recommendation was. This is what we thought was best. We got a different order. We did our best to carry that out, execute the order. We feel like that was a success. We can, we can talk about that. You know, Austin, uh, retired general, but he was clearly um, trying to more or less save the Biden administration wherever he could. Uh, I guess trying to save his boss's uh, rear end on this thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. At, at least I did not hear Austin asked whether he advised the president to keep any troops in uh, in Afghanistan, and if he was asked, I don't know whether he he answered. I know that at some point yesterday, all three were saying, I, "I won't tell you what advice I gave the president. I will tell you my view, and you can draw your own conclusions." Which essentially is the same thing. Um, so I don't know what his what his response to that was, if he was even asked. But um, it 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 seems to me that, and we we touched on this. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. We're in for a lot of finger pointing between and among State Department, Defense Department, the military, the intelligence community, and the White House uh, as to who should bear responsibility or blame for the situation in Afghanistan. And it is clear from the polling that you see that the Biden administration for uh, reasons related to Afghanistan, uh, the border, inflation, the budget, all kinds of reasons, is cratering. And as that continues, and apparently, if you believe the polling, uh, is continuing, it seems to me that the uh, the need and the desire to point the finger uh, among those individuals or those groups of individuals or those entities uh, is going to increase. And so I, there's no telling what we may learn with regard to what the president was told and what he was advised to do and what he didn't do and why he didn't do it. I thought they were, um, today there was a line of questioning about the significance of having all troops out by September the 11th. Um, and who, I mean, obviously that's a, that's an important day and the significance would be sort of obvious from a political standpoint, but, but more importantly, who made that decision? And what I heard about that, uh, that n- there was no answer as to who made that call. Uh, it was just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, I won't say ignored, but but there was, those three did not provide any, any facts uh, with regard to whose idea that was. Um, and I thought that was, that was pretty interesting as well. When I heard that, I wondered, though, if they made their recommendations and then later it simply got communicated to them through probably uh, SecDef, what the White House decision was. And so they don't really know who made the decision. It just came down from on high. I, I don't know. That's just speculation. Yeah, that could very well be. I mean, he, he you know, 
the president is the commander in chief, and he he can, as you said, he has the right to make decisions on all this, and, and he's not obligated to uh, explain to to his um, either his staff or his uh, military advisors or the secretary of defense uh, uh, why he does or doesn't do any particular thing, or why he doesn't take or, or advice or, or I mean he you know so that could well be true. You know, back in um, the spring, probably late March, early April time frame, there was a question at a White House briefing uh, where someone essentially asked Jen Psaki, haven't the president's military advisors recommended keeping troops in Afghanistan? And her response was something to the effect that, oh, he gets all kinds of advice, but as the president, he makes the final decision. Which makes it really strange when he goes and tells George Stephanopoulos, oh, no one recommended that. Yeah. It's like he doesn't understand, and and we've talked about this before. He has a, a a lengthy track record of outright falsehoods to the media, to the public, and so forth. He was running for president like he, at one point and withdrew because he had plagiarized, I believe it was Neil Kinnock's speech or, or an excerpt from Neil Kinnock's book into Biden's speech and basically adopted it as his own. He, he plagiarized in law school. He told that whopper about his standing in his law school class. He told the whopper about how many undergraduate degrees he had. I mean, he, it's like he doesn't understand, particularly in this day of, of, of 24-7 news cycle and, and social media and, and cell phones and smartphones and, and so forth, that the receipts are all over the place, and he's going to get called on it. And, and he just tells whoppers right on, and it's it's bizarre and disturbing. I mean, it's one thing to tell it, but to to un, to not understand that you're going to get caught is is a little bit scary. And he clearly doesn't understand that he's going to get caught when he tells these things. Well, he's had such a favorable press corps for months now. They only now seem to be actually asking some tougher questions. Yeah. Um, I think that's exactly the case. It's sad that, I mean, you know, the the tinfoil hat folks have been proven right on a lot of this stuff, and the press ignored it and claimed that they were, you know, lunatic fringe for for even suggesting it, and and it's it's coming true. Um, Did you see, I think I sent you the, the picture, of the fake background of him behind him getting the shot yesterday. I mean, why do you do that? Yeah, you know, I saw that. I wondered who set that up. Was that at the White House? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not there's not plenty of places he could have taken it at the White House without, you know, a fake background. It just doesn't make sense. It's almost like he he can't avoid these self inflicted wounds. Yeah, and just to describe to the listener, there's a photograph of him getting his booster shot. And he's clearly indoors. It's in a big conference room, probably a press briefing room. And on the stage behind him, they have set up basically a fake wall with two fake windows with a fake exterior scene, you know, like trees and sky through the windows. And they basically recreated it in this briefing room behind him. I guess just for a photo op. Yeah. I mean, it's like like going to Olin Mills and getting your picture made in in the 80s. Standing by a fake, uh, a fake fence with fake trees in the background. That doesn't make any sense. But back to the hearings, because I, I did want to talk about the the Millie testimony and specifically mm-hmm. his discussion about the Bob Woodward allegations. 
And, of course, we covered that a couple of weeks ago when it came out. And I was pretty skeptical about anything Woodward says. Um, I have to say that I found Millie credible. Um, I thought he provided a reasonable explanation of what happened. It would still be interesting to see those readouts from the calls with the Chinese, since yeah. I'm sure there are transcripts out there, just release the transcripts. But, you know, I can also understand they don't want to be um, stuck releasing transcripts every time, you know, some reporter says something that's inaccurate as this might be i don't know if it is or not but that's that'd be one way to deal with it but i thought he provided a credible explanation i did too and i I think it was obvious after you listened to him that he was not acting seditiously or treasonously if that's even a word um you know he 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 said he was directed by uh, his uh, his superiors within the trump administration to reassure the chinese that their concerns about what could happen were unfounded, and he did so. And I think that that sounded reasonable. Um, it would be interesting to see what was said, but um, I, I think Millie is uh, less than competent. I think he is an arrogant individual. Look, Ma, no hand, see how smart I am, because I do think he's very bright. Um, but but he's not, as we said, or as I said a couple of weeks ago, he's not stupid enough to do something like that. And uh, so I, I, I felt better about that. He admitted to talking to Woodward, didn't say what he said, um, said he hadn't read the book, so he couldn't tell you whether the, what the books uh, quoted him as saying was factual. Interestingly, today, the chairman of the committee said he had spoken with Woodward and the quotes uh, attributed to him by, by Woodward and Costa in the book uh, were um, taken out of context and conflated, I think was the word he used. And it's entirely possible, particularly given what we know about Woodward's track record that that's happened to Millie as well. And I've read some of Woodward's books like this before, and he tells a good story. And I think that's what his goal is, whether it's factually or historically accurate or not. He wants to tell the story he wants to tell. That's right. And he, he, he's a, he's truly a gifted writer. I mean, his books are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very intriguing. But, but like you said, he doesn't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And it's not to say that you know, he he makes stuff up. He just fills in the blanks and, and you know, uh, dresses things up or puts a little icing on the cake here or a cherry on the Sunday there to enhance the story and the readability. Um, and, and he's gotten himself in trouble a couple of times, and I suspect we're going to learn more about this book, and, and perhaps uh, there'll be some fallout for him. But there's one solution for politicians. Stop talking to him. Absolutely. And particularly when you're the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, no good comes from talking to the press. Uh, None. Hey, one final note on these congressional hearings. Sometimes, I just want to see if you notice this. Sometimes when other people were talking, and you could see General McKenzie, the Marine four-star Central Command commander, you could see him sitting there, and he's just kind of staring at those senators or those congressmen like, you know, I think I could break his neck with one hand or something like that. Yeah. He, he was looking at them contemptuously, um, it seemed. Maybe not, but, I, it, it, you know, most military uh, officers, certainly at certain once you get to a certain level, do not think favorably of politicians as a whole. Um, there's the favorite, uh, not the favorite, the famous quote from George Patton about the lowest form of human life was politi- is a politician and the lowest form of politician is a Democrat. Um, and, uh, you know, That's a good uh, one. I think many, many, many in the military uh, 
uh, feel that way. Not necessarily, well, probably, you know, not totally with regard to the individual party, but certainly with regard to politicians as, as, a, as, a, as a whole. And I'm sure regardless of having to work with politicians, spending two days on Capitol Hill being questioned and probably many days in preparation before that isn't very fun. Yeah, uh, it would be stressful under the best of circumstances. And it's interesting to me, um, they don't really break for lunch at any sort of uh, uh, timely fashion. It seems to be late, and I'm sure that uh, that doesn't help matters. And then they don't take a very long lunch either. I wondered about that, too. I'd be pulling a sandwich out of a pocket somewhere or having an aide bring me something. Yeah, otherwise you might get hangry and no telling what could happen. You know, the other big story that's been in the news continues to be immigration. And I have this clip, I'll play it in just a moment, where Secretary of um, Homeland Security was on Chris Wallace's show on Sunday. And he was, and Wallace asked him, well, you know, why didn't you build something to stop these people from coming? And he just said, yeah, we don't believe in a wall. Why didn't you stop them from coming into the country? We, um, we did. We encountered them. Uh, they gathered, they assembled uh, in that one location in Del Rio, Texas, and we applied the laws. My, we applied the public health law under the CDC's authority, and we applied immigration law. My question law. is, why did you allow them in the country in the first place? Why didn't you build, forgive me, a wall or a fence to stop them from walking in this flood of people coming across the dam? It looks like a highway that allows them to cross the Rio Grande. It is this pol the policy of this administration. Uh, we do not agree with the building of the wall. To me, that just shows the whole Biden administration's philosophy. They don't want to stop people from coming. No, they don't. Um, my, my orcas, uh, I think it was on Chris Wallace's show on Sunday where, where he, he said that the the border was closed. It was not open, which is clearly not the case. Um, it, 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 it boggles the mind that the man who's directly responsible for, for our border security seems to be working against any sort of border security. Uh, I don't know how that can happen. Um, or why it would happen. And I think uh, I think it is their goal uh, to, um, to have open borders without saying we have open borders. On that show, he also said 10,000 or 12,000 Haitians had been released into the interior of the United States. Maybe more. He didn't know if it was more. Yeah, he didn't know. And originally, I thought he was talking... 10,000 or 12,000 people from all of these tens of thousands that have come to the border. But as I've listened to it a couple of times, it seems pretty clear he was just talking about all those Haitians that were there under the bridge in Del Rio. That's exactly and I guess a word about. came down from on high to clear them out, so they just released them. Yeah. Um, and, and that was after promising that the Haitians would be returned to Haiti. Um, and, and that's caused some problems because they're not coming from Haiti. They're coming for the most part from Chile and uh, Brazil and places like that, and, I, and they were complaining wanting to go back there if they got sent sent back. Um, but they've sent very few back as compared to the number that they've released into this country. And of course, you know, the, the claim by the DHS folks is, well, they released conditionally, and with the minimum condition being you got to report for a court date or an interview with 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 the immigration folks. But of course, they're not they're not going to pay any attention to that. They're gone, 
and until they have some involvement with law enforcement, that nobody's going to know where they are. Um, and and that is truly, uh, it's disheartening to think that that our government would do that and do that intentionally. And did you see the story that broke this morning? Um, the Border Patrol is having to shackle the female Haitians that they are returning to Haiti as they put them on the planes, because if they don't, they will defecate in their hands and throw the feces at the Border Patrol agents. I didn't see that. I knew there had been some uh, disturbances on planes or on the tarmac. I I didn't see that particular one. Um, I mean, it's, it's a nightmare. Uh, as we discussed, you know, last week, and uh, my orcas, you know, it's it's uh, it's almost like it's planned. And there's a, there's another group coming, as I understand it, a large group, thousands um, of people. Yeah, and and uh, they haven't made it to Mexico yet, but they are they fully intend to to march through Mexico and, and arrive at the border and, and seek to cross. Well, I think you put your finger on it when you say it's almost like it was planned. And we could talk about that for a minute because I don't think it's clear to me that this is incompetence or some type of desire to um, change the demographics and bring in new Democrat voters or whether this is just a, a feeling of misplaced empathy that anyone who's had a hard time because they're from a a poor country that we should let in. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a large portion of what I would call naivete on the part of uh, some of our liberal friends who hold uh, decision-making powers within the administration to just, uh, you know, we've got to help people. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, that comes at a cost, and that cost is to Americans, American jobs, the American middle class. Um, and it's you can't, you can't solve the world's problems. And as I understand the law... Economic refugee status is not enough to gain entry into this country, um, and there's a reason for that. Well, and quite frankly, it doesn't help all these immigrants either. No, because no. And, and it's you've encouraged to them. them to take on very dangerous trips. They're right. living in squalid conditions in places. They're being uh, trafficked by um, unsavory characters. So, not helping them either. No, and the the cartels put the word out. Um, uh, earlier this week, that um, they, they, uh, their, uh, their folks uh, who are trafficking uh, immigrants across our border should should endeavor to cause uh, the border patrol to react uh, in ways that they can then photograph and accuse. Uh, the border patrol agents of abuse of of these 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 immigrants, uh, such as the incident with the horses, and they, of course, as I understand, the horses are no longer being used. But um, you know they're 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 using the Biden administration's, frankly, overreaction to a non-event against uh, against the United States and the court of public opinion, and. Yeah. Because Biden. they know how the media will react it and how right. Democrats in general will react. That's right. And how my orcas and folks of his ilk will uh, will use that to advance their open borders policy. The situation continues to be a mess. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. 
One other thing that's a mess we've talked about before has to be the, the increased crime rate. And the FBI released official statistics just within the last few days about the bump up in the murder rate in 2020 spiked some 29% nationwide. And we wonder why. Defund the police. You know, common sense would suggest that folks should have seen this one coming. Uh, last spring and last summer when when there was uh, the reaction to what folks perceived the George Floyd incident to be uh, and the rampant lawlessness that occurred in Portland and Seattle uh, and other places. It's still ongoing, um, and, and there are no consequences to the wrongdoers. Um, so here we are, Wild West. Yeah, it's just a, a general diminution in respect for law enforcement. And respect for others and their property, it, it is, and it's a it's a cancer that eats at our culture, and it too is not going to get better until it gets worse. No, it's not. No, it is not going to get the, better uh, until it gets worse. What was the statistic statistic that I saw? More people have been shot in Chicago this year than than. Miners have died from COVID, and and it happens every weekend, and not just in Chicago. Chicago is just a, uh, you know, an example. But all these Democrat cities, um, and and yet we want to talk about guns are evil. It's not guns are evil. It's, it's people are bad, and the laws on the books are not being enforced. Yeah, and just to touch on that, um, a CDC reported that 214 children, 17 or younger, had died of COVID. That's nationwide as of September 11th, whereas 261 kids just in Chicago have yeah. been shot this year. So it's kids being shot, not just people, because people would be a lot. I mean, there's 110 people shot on, uh, this, this past weekend of all ages in Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot is never called to account for that. Black Lives Matter makes no noise about that. Um, and just, it, it seems to be accepted. And it's, you know, as we, we've spoken before, it's, it's unfortunate and it's, it's, it harms all of us, but it's particularly harmful to those who live in that community, uh, many of whom lack the economic resources to get out. Uh, but anyway. Speaking of Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to throw you a curve here with my little uh, sponge baseball. Um, I'd like to know your thoughts on Black Lives Matter aligning with the conservative anti-vaccination crowd, particularly in New York City and other places. Um, they seem to be... Um, uh, coming together somewhat to fight these vaccine mandates. And I find that to be very interesting. Well, you know, one of the facts is um, while the White House seems to want to blame Republicans for being the ones who won't get vaccines, you know, from a numerical standpoint, it seems like inner cities and primarily some minority communities have been incredibly vaccine resistant. Um, and that's where some of the problems with the numbers are for 
the CDC and for the, the White House, et cetera. Yeah, and I guess my, my uh, sort of taking this uh, to its to a logical conclusion is, you know, is this the basis upon which Black Lives Matter might might begin to, if not uh, become more conservative with in other areas, at least moderate uh, some of its some of its uh, policy positions as it finds common ground with with the more conservative uh, elements that it normally would not find any common ground with. And of course, well, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, well, I'm yeah, I, I don't think they're finding common ground. They just might be fighting the same fight at the same sort time. Of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but and, uh, and let's just be clear when we start talking about Black Lives Matter, because, um, you know, I think you kind of have to separate out the phrase that people have used, which sure all lives matter, but the organization Black Lives Matter has right. been an extraordinarily radical organization. An I know they've taken Marxist organization. Admitted Marxist organization. Their founder has said they were trained Marxists. They were trained activists. Their website originally called for this destruction of the nuclear family. I believe they've taken that language down now, but. You know, that just gives you a sense of what the organization is, the organization which is fundraised uh, through corporate America and collected millions of dollars. So that organization, I'm not convinced they're advancing the interest of black lives anywhere, whether they're fighting vaccine mandates has to be. You know, whether that's to advance black lives, I'm not convinced it is. No, I'm so. not either. I, I would say that I, I, I do think given sort of the history of the Tuskegee experiments and so forth, you can sort of understand some of the minority community's reluctance to buy into the um, buy into the vaccine uh, efficacy. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think part of this whole debate over vaccines goes back to the debate over Trump and Biden. Uh, because it was developed under Trump. Remember during the campaign, Kamala Harris said in a debate she wouldn't take it if Trump developed it. Uh, and Biden said something very similar. So when they get elected and they're trying to push vaccines, you know, all that does is create more partisan divide. And, and folks remember that, uh, those comments. And, and it would seem hypocritical to many to, um, to turn on a dime like that and all of a sudden become pro vaccine the same one that you know biden got his first shot on the 21st of december so six weeks or two months before he was saying you know he wouldn't take uh, that's 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 kind of hard to to swallow for a lot of people well what's on your radar for the next week i I guess you know one of the things is uh and we we talked about this we touched on this last week and i'm hopeful that we're going to touch on it again in more detail coming up soon is the supreme court uh term starts uh, on monday so I want to keep an eye on that. I always think that's a that's an interesting time of year. Um, and then I think the fallout from Afghanistan will continue to be a uh, a big topic. Um, and uh, the uh, this this uh, impasse, if you will, in in the House of Representatives, uh, particularly uh, between the progressive Democrats and the moderate Democrats on the bipartisan infrastructure bill and then the $3.5 trillion but zero net cost infrastructure bill um, is is quite interesting. And then you throw in the debt limit and and the budget and it, it it's um, 
that's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because I find that just fascinating. Yeah. Uh, On lots of levels, it's fascinating. On, on at least, yeah, multiple levels. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned the payment piece, and, and there's this this idea that's gone around from the White House through certain people on Capitol Hill that, oh, it's being paid for, so it doesn't cost anything. Uh, and that's factually incorrect. It's conceptually nonsensical. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's like, uh, it, it's like, well, if I pay for my sandwich at lunch, it didn't cost anything. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and, and the American people know that. Um, viscerally, they know that. And, and yet the Democrats, as you said, the White House in particular, keeps harping on this. It doesn't make any sense. And they're not helping. They're not advancing their own cause when they say things like this. So why do it? And I, I think it points to a fundamental misunderstanding of basic economics by many uh, within the liberal wing of the Democrat Party. They just don't understand. And then it's it's sort of encapsulated by Saki's comments uh, on either Monday or Tuesday when uh, she said it was absurd and outrageous, I think were her words, that businesses would pass on any tax increases that they um, they uh, have to pay to the customers. I, how can you be an educated, high-level member of, of the White House staff and not understand that businesses exist to make a profit, and that's why they pass on those costs to their customers? I cannot understand how, how that how that can happen. And so, you know, it's clear that they don't know anything about business. They don't have an understanding of what's what's required to 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 put a capital at risk and, and to create wealth and create jobs and pay taxes. It just it's it's truly uh mind boggling. And the other thing, and let me get your thoughts about this, but it has to do with the debt ceiling. And I guess in the past, um Going back a little bit further, Congress would approve a certain amount of additional debt which can be issued. More recently, they just suspended the debt ceiling for a period of time. You know, it seems to me um, that given this impasse on Capitol Hill, if the Democrats were to say, we want to raise the debt ceiling just to continue funding for existing programs at existing levels, they might peel off one or two Republicans for that, maybe more. I but, think but that's with right. some with some, you know, I, I don't even know the math, maybe five trillion together, maybe seven trillion dollars in new spending. Uh, the Republicans are holding firm and saying, we're not going to support that. We're not going to support suspending the debt ceiling so you can just blow the budget out. Yeah, I saw I saw today uh, a report that if this were to pass both both of these bills and interest rates rise above three percent which, I mean, they're clearly going to go up, uh, and, and, and 3% is nothing, and they're going to go above 3%. But if they go above 3%, that is an extra $180 billion in interest payments that have to be paid every year going forward. And that's a phenomenal amount of money. Uh, it's, 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 it's scary, uh, what they're about to do. Uh, I'm not the biggest Mitch McConnell fan in the world. Uh, I think he's done a lot of good, but I also don't think he's done some things he should have. But he has 
he has rallied his troops in the Senate, and they are marching in lockstep, and he has told Schumer time and again, you know, you have the votes to raise the debt limit on your own, and we're not going to put our fingerprints on it. Of course, the Democrats want Republican fingerprints on it so they can keep it from being a, uh, uh, an issue in the 2022 elections. Um, it's... it's um, yeah, it's a fascinating story it, over what may happen over the next week. It really is. And and then, you know, the uh, Pramila Jayapal, is that how you say her name? That's close enough. She seems to have Nancy Pelosi on the run. She is quite confident in in, in her votes. And, you know, what you always hear is, is that um, that Pelosi is probably one of the best vote counters that there has been in the House leadership in, in a long time. And she's, you know, obviously uh, you hear she's not going to bring a, a, a bill to the floor if she doesn't have the votes. Um, but she seems to think that she does, and Paul is confident she doesn't. So, you know, who's going who's gonna to prevail there? Uh, and then, of course, just because it passes in the House doesn't mean it's going to pass in the Senate, as you talked about. Manchin says he's not voting for it. He, he met with the president yesterday, and he said, I made no promises. Cinema says I'm not voting for it. Um, it's it's really, really uh, just on a, a nuts and bolts perspective with regard to how excuse me, the Congress works, it's really fascinating. And then you throw in the policy uh, dimension of it, and wow, maybe maybe uh, those of us political science nerds um, are the only ones that love it, but it is just fascinating, as you said. Yeah, something I'm going to be watching for the next week also, because I think one of three things happens. Either one or both bills goes down to defeat, uh, either uh, that's one option. The other option is that cinema and or uh, mansion cave and support spending trillions of dollars. And we'll have to talk about that next week or nothing happens. And there's a stalemate, which basically just drags this thing on out further and further. And we've talked about the calendar is not a friend of the Democrats on Capitol Hill at this point. No, it's so, not. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting over. This is kind of a pivotal week, I think. Yeah, I, I wanted to get your thoughts before we go. Uh, with regard to uh, Fed, uh, is she Fed Chairman, or you talking about Janet Yellen? Yeah, is she Fed Chairman or is she Secretary of Treasury? Secretary of Treasury. I, I'm sorry. She used to be on the Fed. That's right. She was. She was a previous Fed Chairman, so she's Secretary of the Treasury. Her statement this week that unrealized capital gains were income and should be taxed. We had some discussion about that that you and I did this morning, but that to me, I, well, first of all, I can't believe that that, what that whatever happens that could get passed, but that is just that is such a, a a a sea change in 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 our approach to income and taxation in this country. I, I, that would have ramifications of a magnitude that it, we've never seen before. Well, let's just explain what that is for a moment, because capital gains taxes are pay or capital gains taxes are incurred on income that comes from investments. And that's different from, uh, you know, wage and salary income. Right. If you buy, whether it's, you know, real property, gold or, you know, some type of uh, 
treasury certificate, whether it's a stock, whatever it is. Um, and then it goes up in value. You pay a different tax rate on that value because you've already paid income taxes on the money you used to buy it generally. And you're investing that capital, which could go up or down. So there's a different income tax on that or rather capital gains tax. But when it go, if you buy a stock, if you buy a hundred dollars of stock and it goes up to $120, you haven't made $20 until you sell it, until you uh, realize the pro- realize the capital gain by selling whatever that asset is. So unrealized capital gains are simply on paper where some investment has gone up in value. Uh, and, you know, you can hold it for 10 years. It can go up. It can go down. It can, you know, just muddle around in the middle for a while. And then, you know, if you're an investor, you hope it's gone up significantly. You sell it. You've made a capital gain. You pay a certain amount of taxes on that. So what Janet Yellen is talking about is taxing uh, unrealized capital gains, meaning some investment has gone up in value on paper, but you have no additional income in your pocket as a result. Uh, you know, how do you value that? When do you value that? What do you do with investments that have lost money? There's so many questions about that that are unanswered. But the biggest problem with it is simply it hasn't produced uh, any income to you. And you're going to charge someone taxes on, on that. That just is a total change in the philosophy of the tax system. It's, yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, it's, it would ruin the investment uh, climate in this country. Uh, and, and, it, I think we'd be pretty much a, a socialist country at that point um, or, or well on our way. Um, if they were to seriously push that idea, the first thing you're going to see is the markets are going to go down significantly because people are going to start selling and taking out any realized capital or they're going to take out unrealized and turn it into realized capital gains as quickly as they can before it could be taxed. That's right. But then the long-term consequences, people aren't going to put their money into an investment. So the capital markets are going to dry up. I'm, I'm surprised that Yellen would not understand that coming from Wall Street. Um, you know, she's a creature of Wall Street, worked there for, for decades. Uh, it, it, I, I, just, I don't understand. I really don't. You know, the other thing I wanted to say, Lee, was that you were uh, you were kind of modest about the idea that we'll be talking about the upcoming Supreme Court term. I just want everybody to know that we have a big episode coming up in the next day or so. You'll find it in your podcast feed where we're going to break down some of the cases the court's going to hear this term. We are. We're looking forward to that. Um, really kind of sinking our teeth into a a number, you know, several, a handful of those cases and, and breaking them down and talking about the history of those cases and, and what we would uh, think is going to happen and what we'd like to see happen and maybe even uh, predict what might happen. So stay tuned. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.